Welcome to the Audio and Visual Podcast. My name is Jay Bigham, and I'm your host. Audio and Visual is a podcast that hopes to bring you into the artist's studio, whether that be a large commercial studio space or an extra bedroom in a condo, to help you get to know the struggles, triumphs, and day-to-day lives of people creating visual arts. Initially, the artists featured will be from my circle of friends and acquaintances, which are mostly Edmonton and Alberta-based, but I do have quite a few folks I know through social media spread out all over the world. I hope to feature some of them through the magic of the Skype interview. The artists you will hear, for the most part, will be people you've probably never heard of, but you may be familiar with some of their work. This isn't a podcast that will be featuring famous artists. Rather, it's focused on those artists that live and work right beside you. Today's guest is Edmonton-based metal artist and sculptor Slavo Czech. We met at Slavo's office in his studio in early June. Let's get right to it. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jay. So, uh, I've actually wanted to do this one for quite a while. Um, we've known each other for, what, four years? I now, think it's, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Uh, and you've been a busy guy in that, uh, in that time. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a good little run, I have it's, to say, these last four years. Yeah. You know, it's always been sort of my dream to have my quote-unquote studio practice to start closing the gap between the architectural side and the sculptural side. And I have to say, last year was a really good ratio. Like, it was almost a 50-50 split. That's excellent. So, you know, like when, obviously, you know, the bread and butters has been historically the architectural side, which allows me to keep the doors open. But, uh, I mean, if I can at least have that 50-50 split, that's... That's pretty fun. That's excellent. Well, why don't we talk about um, your, your background? Let's, how, did, how did you get started in, in this? Uh... So very sort of ground zero, uh, my high school art teacher encouraged me because I was pretty good at art. And so she said, well, you know, why don't you get a portfolio together and apply to the university? And then sort of the, the practical me said, no, you know what, I think, I think something to do with business would be better. So anyway, I went to, to Nate and studied, took the two-year marketing program. While I was in high school, I worked for a fellow who designed and manufactured commercial Christmas decorations. So it was a really good, fun, part-time job. And, and the substructures of those Christmas decorations, like the things that you see hanging on the light posts in small town, Western Canada, uh, it's all tubing and rebar construction. So I had a little bit of an introduction to, to metals at that point. So when I graduated from marketing, um, one thing that sort of really stuck home, because the fellow that I worked for had a monopoly, he was the only one in Canada doing it from like Vancouver Island to Prince Edward Island. And the one thing that I learned in marketing was that competition is a good thing. So he, you know, tried to sick the lawyers on me, but (laughs) I'm just, you know, like a 20 year old kid and I've got no assets. I, I didn't steal any kind of list from him. It's just, you know, here's the phone book and start phoning people. Right. So he didn't have a leg to stand on that way. But uh, yeah, so it started off with uh, the Christmas decorations and uh, I kind of wanted to, to make a statement early on. And so I, uh, I approached one of our big downtown towers and uh, the, it was AGT at the time, Alberta Government Telephones. And I said, you know what would be really cool is if we can do some sort of dynamic light display on the side of your building. 
And much to my surprise, they didn't say no. I was kind as of a, expecting that. As a, as a 20 year old. As a 20 year old. So <laughs> they, uh, they basically didn't throw me out the door. They said, you know what, we'll put you in touch with our engineers and we'll see what, what we can do. So I, in, in the meantime, I sort of worked out that I, I, I didn't want it to be a static display. I knew I wanted flashing lights and I just wanted something really graphic, non-Christmassy, you know, just something wintry. And so, yeah, I just basically did the layout, worked with their engineers, and they, they're the ones really that did all the work. I just was the idea behind it. Well, that's, and that's actually for people who don't know and for people who are in Edmonton, um, that's still, what, 30 some years yeah, later. It was 1986, so 32 years. 32 years ago, it's still, um, Every November or so, it gets turned on, Absolutely. and it, it lasts through the, the season. And it's it's something that people look for. It's actually just to describe it. It's well, why don't you describe it? It's well, it's yeah. It's it's basically you can see it from the south side as you're entering downtown Edmonton, and uh, yeah, it's just these a graphic display of flashing um, yellow, red, green trees that alternate in terms of a pattern. Yeah, just the outline of, yeah. of four four trees. Four trees. Four trees yeah. on a. 28-story building. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's pretty iconic. I have to say. It is. It's well. I I didn't I didn't think that it would last this long. I mean, it's it's the technology's been upgraded. They they put uh, LED light now, but uh, I think it's just sort of it's graphic and naive enough that it sort of captures and pulls on the heartstrings. Yeah, absolutely. There's yeah. no question. I think people absolutely look for it, and I I see it every morning as I go across uh, yeah. uh, the river into downtown. It's fantastic. So what happened after that? Uh, well, you know, there was uh, quite a long run of doing just the Christmas decorations. And it, it, I would sort of start ramping up the production side of things. You know, there would be the traveling to small towns in Western Canada. And, you know, here's my flyer, you know, had a, basically a, a design set of about maybe 15 or 20 pieces. And uh, so... But production didn't really ramp up till sort of like April, May, and then you would go until, you know, the last minute orders would kind of go out the door just after Halloween. And then I would have that period that I had a little bit of spare time and I sort of started to think, well, how else creatively can you use metalwork? And then just sort of started tinkering with little candle holders and bed frames and coffee tables and, you know, just there was a lot of luck and serendipity involved in terms of the right people saw it and had some galleries that showed the stuff in the early days, like 1989, 1990, and it just sort of started to snowball. And then an architect saw it and said, you know, I really like this. Would you be interested in creating a patio for the sidetrack? And so, you know, just one sort of project snowballs into another and just sort of carries on. And 30-some years later. 30 years, <laughs> just 30-some odd years later, here we yeah, are. Absolutely. Well, I notice we're um, sitting in your uh, office up here, yeah. surrounded by lots of metal, but there's also some paintings on the walls with your signature. So tell me a little bit about that, because that's actually something I didn't really know too much about you. Yeah, well, it's actually in my sort of mid-20s, I was really into painting a lot and sold some pieces and I was really a fan of uh, A.R. Pink, German expressionist. Um, so really kind of the tribal 
bright, vibrant colors. Um, I don't, did I ever tell you the story of when I was in New York in 1984? Um, I had my heart set on buying uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat, mm-hmm. and it was like $24,000 at the time, 24000 US, which was an astro- astronomical amount, but I mean, that painting today would be, that would be worth 50 yeah. to $100 million. Yeah. Just the shit and coulda, wouldas, but... <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. So anyway, I was a, a fan of that yeah. at an early stage, and so I, I think at some point in my life, I'd really want to pick up a paintbrush again. Maybe when the uh, pound in the animal gets a little hard on the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. You're listening to Audio and Visual, the podcast about visual arts and artists. Today's guest is Edmonton-based metal artist and sculptor Slavo Czech. For more information on Slavo and to hear all our episodes, visit audioandvisual.ca. Follow us on Twitter at audioandvisual. Visit facebook.com slash audioandvisual. And don't miss an episode and subscribe to Audio and Visual on Google Play and iTunes. Now back to Slavo. You have um, been involved in a ton of fairly uh, high-profile um, architectural steel yeah. work here in town. Uh, yeah. uh, one of the things I first learned about you, you said if if, it, uh, if a magnet <laughs> sticks to it in Edmonton, it's probably by you. Yeah. And I, that's absolutely true. I mean, some of, what, what are some of your larger jobs that you did here? In town? Uh, well, it's now called MKT, but it was the Iron Horse back then. And so that whole fancy patio enclosure and the whole bar inside and there was kind of some really interesting details that almost mimicked like the, the cow catcher on the front of a train. That behind the bar, they were th- these sort of sliding panels that they could close and lock up the, the liquor at night. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of architectural details like that. Oh, and the, and the, the big sign right. that had the big train was also one that I made. So, you know, there's big work like that, the Sidetrack Cafe. And then, you know, some lighting for like the hardware grill. I think they just celebrated their 21st anniversary. So, you know, just... And you still continue to do that kind of work as I well, do, right? yeah. yeah. I th- if uh, anyone contacts me, I, I don't turn work away. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to keep the studio doors open. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So once you, um, I mean, you obviously started with, um, when did you sort of leave the Christmas decoration business? Well, having said that, I actually... <laughs> Um, have a, a really good client that uh, owns a number of, let's just say, large-scale distribution companies here and sells everything, like from paintbrushes to automotive goods. Um, so I did all the, the Christmas decorations for his business. It's great distributors. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the front facades of all his have, have Christmas decorations, and so he wants some this year for his house. <laughs> can't get away <laughs> so from I it. So I just can't get away from it. Yeah. So well, you know, it, it keeps the doors open. Yeah, absolutely. I still have some garlands upstairs in, in the mezzanine. <laughs> so you know, I'll just weld these up. Basically, there are 30 snowflakes for his house. Sure. Yeah, sure. Cool. So, um, but besides that, probably uh, about 10 years ago, yeah. I kind of stopped doing it. Yeah. yeah. And you had enough of the architectural work to, yeah. to really keep you going. Well, yeah. I, I did all the casinos for ABS, ah. so those were huge, huge c- contracts. And no time for Christmas decorations. And no time for Christmas decorations. Like, just to put it into perspective, in 2006, um, 
ABS group was doing a casino in Calgary and Lethbridge at the same time. So I did like all the cash cages, all the decorative railings, and then the province announced the uh, smoking ban. And so you had to go outside to smoke the five meters away from the front entrance. And so they had to create something architecturally pleasing that doesn't really look like a smoking shelter, but you know, you have the gas heaters above. And so I did all those for them. <laughs> so in 2006, I was working 12, 14 hour days and took three calendar days off in the whole year. Wow. So I went hard. Yeah, and you're as, you, when you, you don't have assistance or anything like no, that. No, I do, do it all myself. I, I, I hire help to install it. Install, sure. But uh, other, like making it, it's all, all done it's in all your me. shop. Yeah, yeah, that's that's incredible. That's yeah. just that when I when I think that you did the the iron horse and just see, I mean, there's hundreds of lineal feet mm -hmm. of of uh, fencing and yeah. detailed, intricate stuff, and it's just it's mind-boggling to me that you do that all yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Even just moving that stuff around yeah. is, is I've done it's a fair heavy. amount of metalwork in my life, and it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about, um, so you, you, be, you became quite well known in the city for um, some of your landmark things, your architectural yeah. work. Um, when did you make the transition to doing more pure sculptural art as opposed to sort of functional art or the architectural uh, pieces? Well, I would say I did some early stuff, like in the 90s I had a show um, have you ever heard the name artist Grant Lear and Nixie Barton? No. No, they, they, I think, are still represented at West End Gallery. Anyway, so they opened up a, a gallery in Victoria and saw my work at, uh, I was at uh, Strange Frames Open Gallery on White Avenue in mm -hmm. the 90s. So Gordon and Rain did a sort of a solo show for me of kind of sculptures and, and a mix of candelabras, kind of gothic looking pieces. and. Nixie and Grant were in town and, and saw some of the pieces, so they had a show for me out in Victoria. So the first phase was kind of in the early 90s, and then again, the architectural stuff just sort of dominated. Consumed everything. Consumed all my time. And then I, I would say really just in the last probably five to six years, started to putz around and, and create some of these more abstract pieces, just purely from a self-motivating, wanting to create something different for myself. Sure. And then, you know, I found Saatchi Art Online and mm -hmm. uh, sort of started to post some things there and had a pretty good run in the early days. But now their site, which, I mean, I still sell there, but it's just, it's just grown exponentially that the amount of volume on that site is just incredible. pieces of art on there yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to be found. It's hard to be found. Yeah, for sure. So. I think that's a, that's a problem with a lot of online sites. They start yeah. out and there's some pretty good uh, visibility and yeah. everybody finds out that there's good visibility and then nobody has any visibility except yeah. for, you know, the, the editor's picks and, yeah. and those kinds of things. So that's, yeah, it's... Uh, one of those things that's, I guess it's better than not having your art anywhere. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, and, uh, uh, but one of, one of the sort of benefits of having it posted online is that there are actually dealers that look for 
quote unquote talent and, and artist on that site. So that's actually how I got my representation in Montreal at the Shane Gallery. Oh. She was looking for Canadian artists and sort of spotted my work and got a hold of me. And that, that's very cool. That's yeah. A, that's a good tip. Yeah. Listeners. <laughs> yeah. Um, so talk about, you have, I'm sitting in front of a table full of some of your smaller pieces. Um, yeah. Talk about, the, and very different. Um, <laughs> uh, that's one of the things, actually, this entire room is full of incredibly different <laughs> styles. We've got some very geometric, uh, bright colors. We've got some, I mean, lots of bright colors, period. But um, lots of geometric stuff, lots of uh, more abstracty things, some very... Uh, some of your latest dice are very sort of uh, primitive, rough style, yeah. um, and then your your uh, uh, your torch cut things. So you want to talk about sort of how you approach each of those things, or is yeah. there an approach? You just yeah, you know what? I, I s tend to go in series, and so I, I get easily distracted <laughs> by, by we a, all by a, a shiny piece of metal or or. A bright color in a, in a spray paint can and say, oh, that would make a really gorgeous sculpture. And then, so anyway, the tor torch cut stuff um, was just kind of playing around with techniques to start with. And uh, so there were a couple of abstract torch cut rings that had sort of elements like this sort of bendy metal flying off the back. And that actually sold through Sachi. And I thought, okay, well, that's kind of an interesting technique. What else can we sort of do with it? And uh, I was art on the block at the uh, AJA was coming up. This was going back, I think, about four years. And I thought, well, you know what, Alberta, the bison motif. I think that might be something that might appeal. So I, I created one of those on the torch cut base and uh, put it in art on the block, and it had a really good reception. Lots of people bidding on it. And uh, so I thought, okay, well, it's. Let's just sort of explore a little bit further. How else can I incorporate the bison into an interesting, maybe a little bit more contemporary way of creating the base for it and sort of ended up with these open blocks with the bison kind of prone on one end and looking like it could be a contemporary version of Head Smashed in Buffalo. Sure, yeah. sure. Well, maybe do you want to just describe for um, the listeners the technique, the, the technique and what it, what it what I'm looking at here is a, uh, um, a bison that is made out of about, what, one inch thick steel plate uh, for the body, um, some uh, legs, a tail, and a, and a head with, with, a, uh, with the bison ruff on it, the, the real sort of mange around the shoulders and head. you want to talk about how you... Sure, so the way I basically approach it is I draw the silhouette of the outline of the bison and then I cut that out as just basically a flat plate and then I start with the torch shaping the dimensionality between the legs and uh, just a little bit more carving away, if you will. Like that's, uh, yeah. yeah. So basically the torch kind of replaces a sculptor's hammer and chisel. And then I layer uh, another piece of uh, plate on the on the shoulder pieces of the of the bison sort of front haunch and and shoulders, and then weld that onto it. Sort of drill through the head where I eventually will mount the um, the horns, 
And then at really low temperature welds, I do all the spots on the bison to create the texture of the coat. And so to keep sort of a contrast, I kind of really grind a shiny finish onto the body of the bison and keep the, the, the sort of the, the coat part of it dark. So it's, it's kind of, a, it's a lovely contrast. Yeah, I, I really uh, uh, like them a lot. And uh, apparently a few other fairly well-known people like them. Mm -hmm. um, Want to talk about the, where they have ended up? Uh, yeah, well, I sort of got lucky and that the city sort of found these and uh, thought, you know, these would be, make really good sort of presentation pieces. So I did, I think the first one was on a trade mission that one of the councillors went to the Netherlands. So we packed that into a suitcase. How much did they weigh, by the way? Uh, that one was 30 some odd pounds. So <laughs> it was a commitment to take, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> um, and then I'm trying to think what the second one was. I think the second one was for Glenn Sather, uh, who was here in town for the his having his name raised banner ceremony at the old Rexall. So the that's just the uh, the uh, coach of the Edmonton Oilers in the glory years, Glenn yeah, Sather, sure. right? And so interesting little story was um, I introduced myself to him and I said, "Nice to meet you." Uh, you know, I'm the artist behind this presentation piece, and he goes, oh, "Do you know the story behind? I actually live on Buffalo Street in Banff." So this is absolutely perfect. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I had no idea. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. So, and then there was uh, one that went on another trade mission to Harbin, China, our sister city. And then the really special one was uh, when Prince Edward was here in town with all the Commonwealth Games Summit. Uh, there was a lot of pomp and ceremony around that one. and. Uh, yeah, so I got to go up to the podium with the uh, Mayor Don Iveson and actually present one to him. That's so that was pretty special. Must have been quite uh, quite the thing yeah. to know that that's going back to. So I got a lovely letter via the mayor's office that uh, how much he really enjoyed it and still likes it. And Excellent. So on Royal Stationery, so it's kind of awesome. cool. Yeah, <laughs> I can see it framed up hanging at <laughs> home. Actually, yeah, so I should get a copy of it. Yeah. Well, that's that's pretty uh, pretty amazing, um, and uh, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. But um, and then there's two more. Yeah, that are going to be at the Ram, the Royal Alberta Museum. Oh, when that so is, in the yeah. yeah, when you exit through the gift shop, <laughs> <laughs> and of course you will. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and now the ones that. You're, you're branching out. I, um, I just love this one here. This is a, a is it a mastodon? It is, yeah. Well, oh. Mammoth. It, or it's a mammoth. mammoth. It's, what, there is a difference. There is a difference, and I don't, I, one of them is a little bit smaller, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. And also where they live, I think. Yeah. But, um, this is the art podcast, not this paleo yeah, that's right. podcast. <laughs> and so what I did was I actually traced the, the logo of the RAM. Oh. And so that's, uh, that's their, their logo. And I can't, because he actually made it hear this podcast, but this actually is, is going to someone's birthday. Ah. <laughs> so, Excellent. It's yeah, a beautiful it's, piece. It's, I really, uh, it, it, uh, it appeals to me in, the, I love the base on it. It's about a two inch base and it just, it, um, just feels 
rough and and strong and it's very cool it, it works well with that that sculpture for sure it's yeah. got a lot of texture to it yeah yeah and then sitting right next to it <laughs> is something so completely different yeah you want to describe that style um, so that style is is basically it's it's that's all hand forged um so it's steel that's brought to a red hot temperature and basically I give it twists and loops and uh, just shapes that I find pleasing to my eye and basically weld some shapes together. And what's really neat about forged metal is that when you actually polish it, it has a really kind of sheen that you don't really get unless it's forged. So I don't, I don't really know how to describe it, but it's got kind of a really well, there's, a deeper there's more, glittery there's sheen. There's more color to yeah. it somehow, or catches the yeah. light better, or, yeah. or something. Yeah. Because you can definitely see a difference between this and yep. that. Yep. So yeah, so that's the that's the hand forged sculpture. And yeah. And then some of those get color. Some of those will get color as well. Yeah. Just depending on my mood. Yeah. And that's an entirely intuitive process. You don't Absolutely. plan any of these these nope. pieces out. The the flame cut ones is a, is a planned. Piece. It's a planned piece. Yeah. So the other stuff is uh, more play. Absolutely. You're listening to Audio and Visual, the podcast about visual arts and artists. Today's guest is Edmonton-based metal artist and sculptor Slavo Czech. For more information on Slavo and to hear all our episodes, visit audioandvisual.ca. Follow us on Twitter at audioandvisual. Visit facebook.com slash audioandvisual. And don't miss an episode and subscribe to Audio and Visual on Google Play and iTunes. Now back to Slavo. And then, and then you've got your bison and horse. Yeah, so. <laughs> and, and also other animals, your large scale pieces. Yeah, so the, the little bison that you see on the desk here was basically like, a, that's a, a wire study piece. So I just sort of created a three-dimensional skeletal, try to catch some of the, the muscle definition to, from this, I had the idea to scale it up to about three to four times that size. That and size being about eight inches tall. About right eight now. inches tall, yeah. yeah. So I sort of triple, quadruple size that. And uh, one of my gentleman friends, we kind of get together, the boys get together on an annual, sometimes twice annual basis for, for drinks and food and they're kind of a well-heeled bunch, and he's one of the gentlemen is, a, is an oil executive. And uh, I was showing a picture of it, and he goes, how big is that? And I said, well, it's, you know, this big. And he goes, huh, you want to make it life-size? I said, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and he goes, I have the perfect spot for it. I have a, a place down in southern Alberta that uh, is being willed as a, as, a, as a trust, so that land will never be sold or developed. And uh, it sits in a very prominent spot on his property. And it will be there in perpetuity. And that was a bison? That was a bison, yeah. life-size bison. It had a little bit more detail to it in terms of uh, more infill. But uh, yeah, so like I told you earlier, I like to keep the first ofs. And uh, that's why yeah, it's still And there. then you did uh, one for uh, Castor. Oh yeah, I forgot about that one, Castor, yeah, the beaver. Um, so a friend 
who was originally from Castor, his, his mom was kind of on the organizing committee and they had, I think at one time, a fiberglass beaver as sitting on a on kind of a rock pile as, a, as the marker as you enter town and uh, they sort were of thinking of doing something. Lar- world's largest beaver small town kind of yeah. thing. Probably <laughs> not really well done. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. so that kind of, and, and so he suggested to his mom, well, why don't they do something a little bit more abstracted? And I was just actually finishing up the bison and uh, they said, okay, well, we have, you know, before the committee and do you want to do a little mock-up, little scale model? And I did. So they presented that and everyone loved it. It had kind of some personality behind it. And then, uh, of course, having to supersize it, so. And how big did that end up being? It sits, the tail is quite large. It's uh, like three-eighths plate steel that the tail is probably about eight feet long. And uh, the rest of the beaver kind of curves the tail like a beaver would. But uh, the, the beaver sits at about maybe seven to eight feet tall. So, good size. Yeah, that's, good and size. That's, and if anyone wants to see that, that's in Castor, Alberta. Alberta. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Um, and you've recently been doing life-size horses and things, so uh, just... Yeah, well, the horse I actually did on spec with someone in mind. And so, um, as things turned out, they got divorced. <laughs> <laughs> so, it... Uh, it still sits in the studio. It's, uh, it's, I think it's a beautiful piece. Uh, and the, one of the biggest compliments I ever got on it was uh, I did some work for a client who was basically an equestrian rider for half of her life. And she came in and she goes, you know what, with this little simple gesture of this ribbon of steel on the head, you've captured the personality of this horse brilliantly. Oh, and so, cool. you know, coming from a lifelong Someone who lives with horses, basically. Who lives with horses. And, uh, yeah, so... Anyway, uh, I have high hopes for that horse, and I think it will find a home someday. You you did sell uh, a different horse. I I did. It was... Are we talking about the one that was commissioned? Copperheart. Copperheart. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting story. So, the power of the internet. Somebody Googles sculptor horse. And for whatever reason, my name came up in the search. And so she contacted me, sent me a picture of her horse, and said, how much to do a two-thirds life-size? And I said, do you, th- do you think we could ele- put the element of copper, because I'd really love to combine those two? And she thought that's, you know, like, represents the life force. And so she had just lost her beloved show jumper mm. of, I think, 21 years, so she was, she was in a really sort of raw emotional state, and you can kind of pick that up on the communications. Sure, yeah. Like she really wanted this to be special. Special. So, and I think I kind of made her feel at ease, and that you know, yeah, this is something that I'm capable of doing. And so, of course, the awkward email saying, "Well, I, I need this much down to start the project," and you know, like, God bless people's you know, faith in humanity that it still exists, that you're not just going to wire money to some artist you've never met and, right, and yeah. hope for the best. So, um, you know, I sent her pictures of progress all the way along. And so I think that really made her feel that she was a part of the process 
and B, that she's not being ripped off. Right. And so, yeah, basically just created a huge crate for it. And Where did that end up? Uh, just north of Toronto. Ah, very cool. A really, like, picturesque setting. It, she has since kept me uh, updated with sort of photos as it ages and the different seasons. That's and the, I, I, I often see some of your in, in place um, yeah. after a year or so, yeah. people will update you. And I think that's very cool to see those those uh, photos of your art outside yeah. living in its its home. I mean, it's yeah. very cool that there's a sunset shot of your bison. I think I remember seeing yeah. that's just it's just stunning. Yeah. It's uh, really beautiful, and it's it just fits so well into the landscape. It yeah. doesn't feel out of place at all. Yeah, it's very cool. And it, it really, as as an artist, it, it kind of you kind of live for that sort of vali oh, validation yeah, yeah, of absolutely. that it's still after this amount of time still means that much to people. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the really cool part. Yeah, for sure. So um, you've just done your first open studio in <laughs> thirty four, years. Thirty years. Yeah. But, uh, I, I was happy to stop by and have a glass of wine. Yeah. Um, I think that the reaction you had was pretty remarkable. Huh? It was uh, way, way more than I had even hoped for. It was like, you know, you have a little bit of a presence on social media and you sort of promote yourself as a soft sell, right? You don't, you, you know, crazy, crazy, all sculpture must go. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, part of it was a reaction to, I wanted to throw open the curtains and, and let people see, you know, kind of behind the scenes. And I think people really, kind of like that. They, they want to see the where the stuff yeah. is created yeah. or even the process or the equipment. And uh, I think I had about 80 to 100 people that came through over the weekend and uh, I sold quite a few sculptures and awesome. some jewelry and, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, the jewelry. <laughs> oh yeah, well, let's talk about the jewelry, yeah. Is well, it, is it, I, I happen to, uh, well, my wife owns yeah. some now because yeah. she saw it and she's like, I'm having this. It's still my birthday, so yeah. buy it for me. But uh, is that something that's new for you, or have you done that before? Yeah, it's it's pretty new. I, I did actually a few years back. Um, I can't even remember the name of the garden center that closed down. It was on the north side, but their buyer had a really good eye, and I was in their gift store, and I said, you know, I, I could make something like that. And she goes, well, why don't you make a couple pieces? And so I did, and. They, uh, they were around for another season and then they kind of closed it down, which was unfortunate because it was beautiful location and beautiful giftwares and, and plants they sold. So, and then it just sort of went into the back of my head, but I started to think about it again when I was thinking about Open Studio that, you know, I, I really like things with texture and depth of color and I like things that look like they were discovered in an archeological dig and I thought, okay, how can I sort of incorporate sculptural elements and aspects to a quote-unquote jewelry line? And so copper is such a, a beautiful material that uh, I sort of created these cuffs that are really torch cut and, and heated and pounded and then have uh, some, some of them, the cuffs have like random cutouts of just the, the heat kind of burning through mm -hmm. the copper and sort of globs of uh, bronze brazing. And the pendants are basically just hammered and 
pounded copper circles with some texture and color. And I just thought, you know, to have something a little bit more accessible, I don't expect everyone to walk out of here with a sculpture, but, you know, everyone should have access to something sculptural. Sure. And so I just, the marketing side of me took over. <laughs> okay. Those two years paid off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, I saw a lot of people walking out of here with them, and I saw actually quite a few people on Twitter saying, hey, look what I got. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, obviously that was a, was yeah. a very good move, and they're, they're beautiful, really. They're, yeah. uh, and again, um, having a couple of photos sent back to you about the, the work in situ. And mm -hmm. So, lovely to see the work yeah. placed. Absolutely. So, what's up next? Uh, well, working on a couple of architectural pieces for uh, someone that I met on Twitter. <laughs> uh, just finished that recent uh, uh, sculpture for him, for his beautiful, like, honestly, Darren Marcon's got a, a spectacular backyard. It's just a beautiful little oasis in the city. And so I created that, uh, that uh, floral sculpture for him. It's all hand-forged. Man, that was... Those petals took a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of heat and a lot of, a lot of a texturing. Lot of, but man. man, it turned out really nice. Uh, and so when I placed it, he said, "You know, like I'm having a lot of trouble with my gates are sagging, and you know they never really work properly." He said, "Would you think of creating something?" I said, "Absolutely." So uh, I sent him a design, and he says, "Yeah, spot on." And uh, so that's what I'm working on right now is those two two gates for his uh, front and side entrance, and uh, there'll be four trellises as well for a storage shed. Nice. So that's next, and uh, then I'm starting on a big 24-foot curved, six-foot high uh, sculptural fence that will also have two 10-foot straight pieces. And almost a similar technique to that uh, floral sculpture is everything's sure. gonna be hand-hammered and textured, and so, and it's going to be quite spectacular. Cool. And do you have any other sort of more on the fine art side of things? Um, I'm trying to think. New galleries, maybe? Well, these, uh, these two bisons are going to a new gallery, but uh, from a purely abstract side, nothing right now. Oh, actually having said that, I'm meeting with an architect friend. Um, I have some work on display at uh, his architectural practice, which is kind of a gallery row on 124th Street. Mm -hmm. And uh, he sent me a text the other day saying, you know, these sculptures that you have on display, one of our developers really likes it. And do you think we can get together and talk about that being the percentage of art for the tower that we're building? <laughs> so, um, yeah, that very, very healthy budget with the 2020 delivery date, and I think I can block a big part of my schedule in 2019 for that. <laughs> well, let's, let's hope that, that that happens. Yeah. But uh, you still have um, your, your play time with all of your, your other sculptures. I guess that won't stop too much yeah. unless you do get something, a huge commission yeah. like that. Well, that, that sculptural fence will take a bit of shine sure. just because yeah. it's so labor-intensive to hammer that steel out, but yeah. Um, I mean, even even when I do have sort of a big production run of architectural side, I sometimes just take a day. You need to, yeah. and just I don't want to measure. I I just want <laughs> I just want to create something yeah. that I don't have to think about. Yeah, absolutely. You need that that time just that to just refresh your yeah. your creative juices and 
and forget about making sure that those two stanchions are completely parallel yeah. to each other and yeah. all of those kinds of things, yeah. Yeah, because the architectural side uses a really a different part of the brain, especially the staircase, the, the, the grand staircase railings are it's just so stressful. But I guess that old saying, if it was easy, everyone would be doing that's it. That's right, that's <laughs> right. Well, Slavo, uh, I want to thank you for doing this. I oh, it was my pleasure, Just For a while, and uh, best of luck in the future. Thank you so much, my friend. Thanks to Slavo Czech for sitting down with me for our fifth episode. Audio and Visual is recorded, produced, and hosted by me, Jay Bigham. The audio and visual theme music is called Good Day, written by Kim Lincoln. For more information on Slavo and to hear all our episodes, visit audioandvisual.ca. Follow us on Twitter at audioandvisual. Visit facebook.com slash audioandvisual. And don't miss an episode and subscribe to Audio and Visual on Google Play and iTunes.